Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Marco. Sean. It's time to work, man. Time to work. There's time to many, work. many different ways to work. There are different ways to work. Uh, what's your preferred way to work? My preferred way to work is my own way. And I think it's every, it's everybody prefer work and, and type of work. And many times we force people to work and think in a different way. Like you got to adapt I, to the company. I want you to work in that cube with no lights <laughs> and uh, one coffee break every three hours and 20 minutes, Marco. Yeah, and like what I like and hate <laughs> what I hate. Well, that's uh, that would be pretty bad, but it's also in many cases pretty close to reality. Now, I don't want to go all the way back to the Victorian uh, age, you know, and the Industrial Revolution where they were really <laughs> forcing people to behave in a certain way. I think we went a long way from that, but there is still a long way to go. And uh, the book we're talking about today on audio signals, Sean, is about one of those angles about diversity. It is, it's about neurodiversity. And, and I think the, the important thing for me today in this conversation is that, I mean, we, we continue, and this is a topic we, we care about and talk about quite a bit on ITSB Magazine, but we, we've done a lot for diversity, but we continue to grow and, and change in technology brings us forward and and I don't know if we're bringing people along with us for that ride of uh, of the tech wave that we're riding or are we widening the gap in some areas and and I I think it's worth some additional conversation and and today we have a great guest who's yes. written a book about this topic uh, neurodiversity at work and the book is coming soon and Theo Smith thanks so much for uh, joining us today for this conversation Hey, it's absolute pleasure to uh, to join you and to be able to tell you a little bit about the book, my journey, um, how I came about writing it, which is insane during the global <laughs> pandemic, uh, and kind of the incredible opportunities that we're facing with kind of technology um, and different minds in the workplace, right? Which is incredible. We should embrace this. Yes, absolutely. And uh, like every good story, let, let's start with the with the character. Which is you, and uh, and feel free to jump right away. What is the connection with the why? So why did you actually write this book? And then we'll dive in. I'm sure Sean and I have a ton of questions. 
So there's a, there's a couple of reasons, but let me start with the why of the of the technology that we're currently seeing and facing, because it's the work environment that I exist within, the school systems, the education systems that my kids exist within. You know, all these things, right, they can be an incredible enabler for people, but they can also be an incredible disabler. And, and what we've done is we've uh, we've put people into boxes, right, and we theoretically call them disabled, because of the environments we've created, not because their brains have an inability to exist and be incredible in this world. Uh, and that's what really impacted me. You know, my experiences growing up and the fact, you know, I failed at school, struggled a lot, left with no qualifications, failed at college, kind of wondered about and ended up going to university as a mature student to do drama, a passion of mine. So drama was like my therapy, right? Drama was the thing that stopped me going too crazy. Um, so I look back now, you know, much further on in life as I look at my child and think, well, what could have been done differently? Um, what can we do for our current workforce, our current employees? And the big thing for me at the moment is neurodiversity. Three or four years ago, I didn't even understand the term. Right? All I knew, all I really knew, if we talk around neurodiversity as a concept, as an idea, is at 21 at university, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. About two or three years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD, right? Now, I'm also following the journey of my children and one of my children who's very much like me. So all of these happening, all of these things happening at that time, I worked for the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, who are one of the leading um, uh, kind of, um, they're not connected to the government fully, but they're kind of arm's length body to the government in the UK, but globally recognised for their research into the health sector. Um, and I happened to be working for them as the same time I was going on this journey. And what I couldn't find was enough information to guide me, right, to tell me what neurodiversity is, what it was, right, what, what we're talking about here. So what is it? You know, in my view, neurodiversity is like biodiversity, right? We need variations in human evolution, right, for the world to work, for it to spin, for everything to, for the air to move around, for us to be able to breathe, right? We need different types of plants, different types of animals. We need different types of human beings to exist. Our brains they're like thumbprints. They're really different. They're unique. But that's incredible, right? Hundreds of years ago, we needed somebody who could run seriously fast, right? That's what they needed to do. Run fast. They were amazing. We appreciated that person who could run fast. Today, that person might be Usain Bolt, right? Incredible runner. You know, he's ADHD, by the way. So, you know, and we needed people who could be incredibly focused and sit in a cave and figure problems out. The same problem, going through it again, again, again. How am I going to figure this problem out, right? And that person today might be Alan Turing. You know, well, not today, but, you know, it might have been Alan Turing, who is like the, the father of artificial intelligence, of machine learning. Right? With these incredible people. Without these people, we wouldn't be achieving the things that we do as humanity. However, we've disabled them. Right, We've put barriers to them getting into the workplace. We've put barriers for them getting in through the education system. We've put barriers that put them into prison. Um, so as part of this book, I wanted to really kind of explore that. I wanted to bring it to the table and I wanted to let other people see the incredible things that I was seeing. And it's not just about the Usains and the Alan Shorings. It's about the people on the ground. Uh, and that's what we've tried to do through the book. We've just tried to bring that to light. Yeah, and and, and I'm, I'm curious, because early in, in your description there, or your, your 
preview of how you came to this point, you use the word guide. And I'm wondering, do you, do you find that this book is somewhat of a guide or is it more of a, a story that people read or what, what, what do you expect people to get from this book when they read it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the journey of writing this book, I wrote it with somebody incredible who's called Professor Amanda Kirby. She's um, a, a GP, qualified GP, an academic. She's incredible, a brilliant person in this space and the only person I could have imagined writing this book with. Um, but as we started this journey, my thinking was I needed the academic. I needed the brilliant mind, who's also neurodiverse, by the way, also fits into the kind of the neurodiverse, neurodivergent, don't like the word, paradigm, which is those people who may be ADHD, autistic, dyslexic, dyspraxic. I could go on. There's more. Right. But maybe the 20 percent of people. But she's very different to me. But for me, she covered the, the clever part of it, right? The data, the analysis, the guide, right? And then I was hopefully going to come in with the storytelling, the narrative. But going through a global pandemic and, and writing this together, we found many commonalities between who we are, the way we act, the way uh, our lives have kind of evolved in different ways, but there's so many similarities. And that really helps in create what is a guide. You could be uh, an employee, you could be a parent, you could be an employer, um, and, and you can all get something incredible from the book because that's the way that we've created it. So we've got, you know, IBM giving their story about the Ignite work that they've been doing, um, the autism program that's evolved, you know, and the same with Microsoft and, and their evolving program. And we've done the auto trade in the UK tech company, smaller company, but still doing incredible things. Right. So um, we've done those, but we've also brought. The, the human stories, the individuals. Shelley Winner in the US, who went to prison um, uh, and, and spent five years in prison whilst pregnant. Um, you know, her story is in there and her story about accessing work after leaving prison uh, and, and the impact that that can have on you. Um, so it, it really does cover many facets and angles of neurodiversity at work, but of course we're human beings. And who are we at work? Uh, and, you know, how does that manifest itself and how do we look after one another and how do we input the things into those work practices and into our lives, right, that can help us be our best selves? Yeah, I love how you say it. a really important point that sometimes we, we, we forget when we have conversation where, oh, today we talk about work. Today we talk about life, like if it was like, oh, I'm just going to go on a different planet, be another me. Like, I mean, it's taking us so long to just facilitate who you really are. And I think humanity kind of a society has been kind of failing everyone because I, I totally agree with you. I mean, there is much more beauty in diversity. I love how you, the, you, you use the example of the biodiversity. But even in that case, look how many centuries we have to go through before we actually say, hey, Darwin, you're, you're kind of right, right? So diversity is what creates this variety, is what creates this planet and, and, and how we survive, we evolve and we grow. And I think the question here, as we were making the jokes at the beginning, Sean and I, with the, with the, with the environment at work, where they want you to be someone else, how do you expect that to perform at your best, bring your own creativity, your own vision, your own individuality, and uh, yet confirm, conform to who knows what. So this book is pretty much, I mean, a lot about the work environment. 
So my question for you is, and you tell me more about what you talk about in the book, but why did it take us so long and why are we not there yet? Oh, wow. Um, so <laughs> uh, it has taken us so long because, um, you know, this this concept, this idea was around neurodiversity was brought to the table um, by Judy Singer and, and some others. And then it evolved, you know, 30 years ago. So it's not like we, you know, it started to rocket in the last few years. You can go into Google and Google Trends and put neurodiversity, and you can see the last three, four years, it's rocketed in terms of the people searching what is neurodiversity, right? So um, why is it taken 30 or 26 years for that to happen? Um, I think it's just uh, people's minds evolving around what dyslexia, autism, ADHD is. Right, people starting to appreciate and understand what it actually is. Because the old paradigm was the medical paradigm, right? You've got ADHD or autism, you either take a drug or you look for a fix, right? The medical paradigm is to fix a, a medical problem, it's a drug or it's, you know, you need a therapist or whatever it may be. But uh, there's always a solution and that solution has a significant cost to it, right? And um, rather than, um, this person who is autistic or maybe ADHD, what is the thing that's impacting them, that's impeding them from being successful in their life, right? What is that thing, right? And, it, it, and do they need a drug? Well, you know, um, uh, there are plenty of people. I interviewed High Contrast, who's in the book, who's one of the leading drum and bass producers in the world. And, you know, the way he describes it is he's not impeded. You know, he has synesthesia. Um, which means he uh, sees sound as colour. Uh, but, I mean, that helps him in terms of his production of his music, right? So, like, it, I think it's taken that. I think it's taken some prominent people. I think it's taken some incredible parents and individuals who've gone, you know what? I'm not taking this no more. I can see, I can understand. My GP won't listen to me, right? Other professionals won't listen to me, and they're telling me, you know, even other people within... Um, at the community, so to speak, like we'll go, no, 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 it is a disability. And therefore, I'm not having you come and talk about, you know, superheroes and superpowers and being able to do incredible things. Well, I think we needed to flip the narrative. And some people have just gone, we're flipping the narrative. And we respect those people who want to say, actually, no, I do need the, the medical support. I do need the pill or whatever it may be. And maybe they do. But often it's complex. What we're looking at is intersectionality. We're looking at not just autism uh, as a single line. We're looking at other things that may have imp impacted an individual that affects their lives and mental health, well-being. It could be other health conditions. You know, you add those together and then you do want somebody to recognise that you're severely impacted by the world that we live in and that you may need lots of additional help. But for a lot of us, we don't, right? We just want we just want a chance, right? We just want an opportunity and we don't want to be discriminated against because we find kryptonite, and I describe this, we find kryptonite all over the place within our organizations. We walk in and they're like, we want you, Theo, you're incredible. Whoa! You can like lasers from your eyes through metal, you can fly, you cool. We're gonna bring you in. But then they bring me in and they put kryptonite everywhere and they go, hey, we're not moving the kryptonite. You've got to just deal with it, just get on with the kryptonite, okay? Everyone has to do it. We, we put it in place and we're not gonna review it no matter what happens. I think that's a big shift now. People are going, 
Let's get rid of the kryptonite. I'm, I'm going to talk about this with you, Theo, because to me, kryptonite equates to culture. For, and and I mean, bad culture. There, there, there's study <laughs> after study and article after article and story after story that says you need to define your business with a culture and and drive your drive to your drive your vision and toward your mission leveraging that culture and which then means your hiring practices how you run your teams all of that is defined in a box right and if somebody doesn't fit in that box they don't fit into that culture that's those are the kryptonite minds in my opinion so how how does a company who thinks we have to define our culture a certain way, which then puts boundaries around who should join us. How do they balance that with what what we know is of value to them, which is bringing different folks in with different different experiences and different backgrounds and different ways of thinking? Yeah, it, it's difficult for really large, complex organizations, right? I have you know micro cultures across the organization anyway, based on location, based on department. Um, you know, what I always say is, right, you want to go and see a good culture, just go down to the tech team, right? Just go down and see how the devs and testers are living their life in your organization. Because what you find in a lot of businesses and a lot of organizations, right, you walk through that um, through that floor, right, and you get to that part, that department, it's like a different world and variations of, but I think uh, that's why you're finding a lot of people who are neurodiverse, right, within tech teams, right? There's a there's a thing that, you know, people who are autistic are great testers and developers. Yes, they may be, but also the way these tech teams have, like, evolved rapidly, because technology is evolving rapidly, means that they've almost, like, evolved outside of the organizational culture. So you can walk through the floor and see everybody still in ties, maybe, and shirts. And, and you walk into the into the tech team, it's very different. And like, how, how is this even a thing? Because nobody dare have a go at them. So hard to get good tech people, right? So nobody's going to argue with them. Listen, they just wear their Converse and they wear their whatever, their, their T-shirts and, you know, they can have their teddy on the desk because that's cool and it's whatever it is. And I see it all the time. And I think that, you know, that's where we need to get to, where we need to get the rest of the organization to walk down to that department maybe and go, look at this, right? Look at this. Look at the stand-ups they have. Look at the quick decisions they make. Look at all the sticky notes up on, you know, this is the way of communicating. This is the way of engaging with people, right? There's multiple ways of communicating across those teams. Yes, some of them are using Slack. Some of them are using sticky notes. Some of them don't attend the meetings. Some of them sit down in the stand-up. Some of them stand up quite vocally. Stand. Hey, that's cool, right? Because every single person is having their opportunity to be a part of that team. But you're right. You've got, like, the organization has to make a shift. Because if you're just making it in a single line, that's all it'll ever be. Like, it will only ever be a single line. And I'm not going to call programs that organizations do, are doing that we've got in the book, you know, because you've got to start somewhere. And maybe it is your tech team that you start with because they're already, you know, an extra mile down the road, right? And then you try and implement the good work practices to come from that. Um, but ideally, ideally, right? You don't want a bad culture and put a sticky plaster over it, right? You need to resolve that, those cultural challenges at the top first. Um, and I think what, what I'm really, what I really love to see is some of these tech firms, some of these fast growth firms, you know, they're doing so much more than a lot of organizations and they're almost doing it organically, naturally. 
But it does become a tipping point for lots of organizations when you get to so many people where that becomes more difficult to sustain. And then if you've not put the right processes and systems in place to keep it, at some point it could break down. You know, yeah. we've got to consider that as well. Yeah, th th there is that fear of diversity. I don't, I don't want to go to psychological right now because actually I want to go technological right now. But but a comment on what you said and that you go in the IT department, it's like, oh, that's that's where, you know, the those guys are, those women are, because they need to think that way. But in, by doing that, you just create compartment. You create different compartment. You don't create diversity in the culture of the company because you're just like, oh, here's the bucket for those guys. Here's the bucket for those girls. And and the company, it's it's just a I don't know. It's just like a, an ensemble of diversity that doesn't talk to another. So it's kind of weird. Uh, you mentioned, though, a few things. You mentioned um, technology companies. You mentioned some technology like Slack and way to communicate. So let's let's dive into this. So how is technology serving diversity and how is diversity serving technology? So is it helping you also mentioned 30 years it kind of make me think like hmm that's about you know the internet <laughs> going around that, that did that help so how is technology in in the equation here with the neurodiversity so i still can't write properly i um i i write awkwardly and slowly i'm not even that brilliant at typing but i'm okay so Long story short, right, if I wasn't, if I didn't have technology at my hands, I'd either have succeeded at being an actor because I couldn't have done anything else, or I'd be down the coal mines in Wales, right? That I, They're gone now. But, you know, those would have been the choices to me because seriously, I've got real problems uh, in that area. So technology has been a huge enabler just on that very simple, you know, one person, right? So that just shows you. Right. How many people are now able to access the workplace through technology that otherwise couldn't? We've seen some incredible stories on this. But also, COVID has had an impact, right? Some people, um, so a lot of people who are autistic are out of work. It's become even worse during COVID through redundancies. But the opportunity has become better because some people who couldn't leave their home to go to the city centre for a wide variety of reasons, theoretically now, the barriers have come down for 50, 60% of organizations that they can now go, well, that person can be at home, right? They can pop in once a week at some point, but they can be at home, that's fine, because we've proven that works and that's okay and we can measure their performance and that's all right. So so that's happened, which is, which is incredible. But let me tell you something I used recently, which I, which I quite like, and I think it might address it up, uh, visualize it for people. So. Um, this is technology's enabling disabler. The problem we've got is, yes, it is very powerful and it can work. But Amazon, um, who, in fairness, gives stuff a go, you know, and they're always trying things because of the size and scope of them, whatever you think of the organization, they gave this a go and they got it wrong. Technology discriminated against women within one of the particular factories, right? Okay, so, you know, it was public. They, you know, called it out themselves and rectified it. And, but this is where right, we've been creating technology. We've been creating uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning throughout the recruitment process, the assessment process. 
right? And we've been creating them really early on. What we're in danger of doing is creating uh, technology that is incredible at finding candidate gold, right? Incredible at finding gold. The only problem is that as it finds gold, inadvertently it's throwing away candidate diamonds and candidate pearls, right? And, and the danger is we don't realize this. Like we may realize it in a large organization that's got a huge amount of numbers. What about the technology that's being created by smaller tech firms that are delivering actually a solution to a lot of firms that may be a smaller mid-level? Like at which point do we know how much candidate pearls and candidate diamonds has been thrown away? And I'm just talking about candidates here. Like we talk about you know, consumers, we talk about a wide variety of other areas, access to education, like technology is incredible. Um, and, and I love it. And I'm part of a HR tech firm. Um, but I do think that there is a risk here that technology, whilst it can be enabling me to go to work and, and, and do fun and incredible things, um, the youth coming through now it might start to disable some of them getting to where they want to. And not necessarily because organizations want that to happen. So I think we should we should be looking at some of these larger organizations like Amazon, like IBM, like Microsoft, because actually they are trying to solve problems at a really large scale. Um, and there is some learnings we can take from that and feed back into some of these smaller tech agile firms that are starting to create um, solutions that are fix smaller problems, but still they, they can have a big impact. Yeah. And, and Theo, I, I glad, I'm glad you, and I like the metaphor as well. So and you specifically mentioned that it was for candidates and hiring is one part of the equation, but getting the most out of an employee and giving an environment to succeed is another. And you may find that somebody is both a pearl and a diamond, right? And you, and you only yeah. hired a pearl and then you're, you're holding them back once they get in. And so what I want to do is as we come close to the end here is maybe get an example or two from the book uh, where maybe there's a, there's a, a hiring example and perhaps a, encouragements, uh, enablements, and growth example once somebody's hired? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, there's, there's two great examples, really. One is Christos Tsapounis, who's the head of people at Autotrader UK, and they literally overnight had to um, transform from a magazine to a digital online firm, right? So they had that challenge in itself, you know, going from 3,000 people to 500 people, completely different roles. Um, but what Christos did is he looked at the organization uh, and he, you know, he wanted to make it an inclusive environment. He wanted to get everybody involved. Um, so we just started to listen to his people uh, and ultimately started to build it up from the ground up. And what he did was built. And I mean, they, you know, they still have a thousand plus people um, probably now. Um, and he started to listen to his people. And when they approached him and said, Christos, can we have help? He started to get the right, right people involved to support those individuals. Um, so one of the great examples is he, uh, Autotrade actually supported somebody to get diagnosed. Um, even though Autotrader, even though Krista said, we don't need that, you don't need to be diagnosed for us to support you. The technology you want, the help you need, the reasonable adjustments, we will make them. You, you tell us, 
we want you to be your best self and perform at your best, right? Um, and we want to support the managers to support the employees to help them, right? Obviously, there's no, you know, you can't write any check away for this. But within reason, we know we're going to get the best out of you if we support you properly. And that's exactly what they did. And this individual, they went and paid for their diagnosis so they didn't have to wait three, four years because it meant so much to that individual. And the amount of story, I mean, we've got quite a few stories from Christos in the book, in the journey through Auto Trader. And really, it's, and you know, he'll say it's not just about him, it's around um, the managers, it's around the recruiter, it's everybody got together and just believed that they wanted to do something bigger, something better than just be an organization. And I tell you what, they're up for winning awards around diversity and inclusion against public sector organizations, right, where you often don't find commercial organizations competing against them because, you know, they 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 have to meet certain objectives, right? They've got a lot of pressure coming from the government to ensure that they meet certain criteria, right? So they often do a little bit better in some of these areas, but they're up there, small organization, tech-focused firm, you know, really making a difference. And why? Because they had a people leader who was really focused on the people. Because there's always a conflict, right? You've got, where's it's the hierarchical nature. Employee wants people support, HR support, but, but they want support because they may be having a trouble with their manager, right? Well, the manager goes for support to theoretically the same people, HR person. Well, who does that person pick, right? Because one's saying one thing, one's saying the other. One's, you know, higher up the, the food chain in the organization than the other. Listen, I, I, I don't need to tell you what happens within organizations, right, in, in this instance. So, yeah, incredible work. They do it the right way. Um, and it's just a brilliant story that's within the book. And he, I mean, he talks as well um, in the wider world. So you can go and find out about some of the stuff they do. The other thing is um, the BBC um, and Lena and Sean at the BBC, two people. And this is what I love. They're not in the people function, right? Not in HR. They're not in leadership positions, right? They are two people within kind of the tech functions of the BBC, a huge organization respected. Now they, Lena went up to Sean and went, you know, I'm autistic and uh, these things impact me, ADHD, etc. Um, and Sean was like, wow, I know nothing about this. I know anything. Like, let me go and read up on it. And he went and read up on it and came back and went, right, I've got a bit more information. Let's together go and explore this together, right? Well, in the end, what happened is he ended up going to his manager with a plan around what the BBC should be considering on neurodiversity. The BBC ended up creating the first building that I'm aware of that was created with neurodiversity front and centre of its design in Cardiff, in Wales, where I'm from. Amazing. Right? The building is designed with neurodiversity front and centre. I'm sure there's others, but it, it's a big one and it's one that I'm aware of. New building and then COVID hit. <laughs> And nobody went there, but that's not the point. <laughs> um, but but they did this together, right? They did this together, and they've created incredible content. They spoke together. They are a team, right? And that's what this is about: team together, right? We do things together. And if somebody's struggling, you don't look at them and go, "You're a problem," right? You go, "Let's figure this out together." 
often when managers change, that's where we see problems. When cultures shift, team dynamics, you know, all these things impact it. But, you know, they're two great examples. We've got lots more within the book. Um, just showing the human element of this, which I think is the most important thing we need to focus on. Yeah, and I, I think one of my earlier points and questions was all about the culture. And I think those, to me, represent a real culture, not a not a fake one that's written in some policy. This is how we act. Those are examples of people coming together to focus on the people. And I, I love it. And I'm wondering, Marco, does that do these examples set us up for for a future where we where we leverage technology and keep focus on the human and, and create think, better environments or what I think so. I wanna be you know sometimes I can go very dystopian and sometimes <laughs> I can go very utopian. I have that imbalance and you know sometimes I hit the, right in the middle. I think in this case, yes, I mean Theo is throwing a lot of new angle, even the urbanistic development of of a building, of a city, of I mean, that alone could be another podcast, and we have had this conversation in the past. So because of time, I'm going to have to draw a line here and and stop other thinking that is going really heavy in my head right now. And Sean, I'm sure I'm going to keep thinking. Same. Yeah, I'm well, we, we want <laughs> us to keep thinking. We want you, listener, to keep thinking, because this is the reason why we have this conversation and i'm sure this is one of the main reasons why people like you write a book about it <laughs> because they want people to listen to and read to it or audible so do both so theo i really enjoyed this conversation i i i have to say you, you mentioned you did some drama school i i enjoy actually looking at you talking and i'm sorry for the people listening to the podcast that couldn't can see you i mean really in a incredible level of energy yeah thank uh, you for this uh, great story. all the way around absolutely yes absolutely hopefully we'll have you on the on the show again on audio signals but for now thank you very much sean you do the the call for the book and the goodbye yes uh and uh, i know this podcast is going to be published before the book is published um but we'll include links in the show notes so you can connect with theo and find out where you can get the book once it is ready and of course we encourage you to read it <laughs> and to think and to connect with Theo and uh, his co-author and, and see how you might change your culture focus on how to bring people in keep them healthy enable them to succeed as diamonds or pearls or gold whatever they're whatever they want to be give them the space to do that and Theo uh Glad you joined us in this space to have this conversation to share your story and, and your book with us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. A real privilege. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. <laughs>